If you would turn with me again in the scriptures to two openings, we're looking at Second uh, Timothy one, and we're looking at John seventeen. Second Timothy one, John seventeen. In Second Timothy one twelve, Paul said, "By the Spirit, he said, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed." And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He said, I know whom I have believed. Then in John 17, the 17th chapter of John, Jesus is actually praying, talking to the Father. And he says this in John 17, 3, he said, and this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is life eternal, that they might know thee. So we've been talking this uh, week about faith and fellowship, and what a connection there is between the two. We've said, you know, that it's a Bible fact and reality that no matter how sick you are, no matter what's wrong with you, your faith will make you whole. Your faith can get you healed of anything. That is not hype. That's not an exaggeration. What the doctors can't fix, your faith can. Somebody said, didn't you mean the Lord can? No, I said what I meant. I'm quoting Jesus. Now see, there's a, there, there's a problem in thinking right there. A lot of times pe people would, they kind of catch that and think, well, why don't you just say the Lord can? Because that's not what he said. What did he say? When the woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd and touched his clothes, he looked at her and said, daughter, be of good comfort. The Lord has healed you. Hmm? No, no. What did he say? Your faith has made you whole. See, if it was just up to the Lord, everybody would be healed. But it's not just up to the Lord. It's not according to His power. It's not according to His will. What's it according to? It's according to our faith. Now, this is a whole other subject here, but listen to this statement. We don't receive according to what God can do. We receive according to our faith. Sometimes people say, well, God can do anything. You know, you got you, you have this issue of people asking about surgeries and medications and therapies and what have you. And I've worked in healing school for years now. And this question has come up again and again and again and again. Do I have the surgery or not? Do I take the medicine or not? Do I take the therapy and have the therapy or not? Well, a lot of times people want to be adamant one way or the other and say, well, you know, you either trust God or you go to the doctor. And so, you you know, people try to take hard and fast stances about things. And you got people that say, well, I don't need that surgery. I mean, God can heal me. I don't have to have this. I don't have to have that. God can heal me. Yes, but you don't receive according to what God can do. God can. 
work in your body amazingly. He could give you a virtually new body from the top of your head to the soles of your feet and put you on the planet Mars in the blink of an eye. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that that's going to happen. You don't receive according to what He can do. What, how do you receive? According to your faith. That's how you receive. And so that's why sometimes the Lord will lead people to have a surgery. Somebody said, the Lord will lead? Yes, the Lord will lead them. Why? What can He do? It's not a matter of what He can do. It's a matter of what? What you can believe. And so don't ever, you know, be adamant with people and tell them don't go to the doctor and don't do this. And you can't, if you had faith, you'd do this and that. A lot of times these people that talk so big, they've never been there. They've never overcome anything in that area. And yet they talk so big. How many know that, that our objective is to stay alive? Is that right? To live and not die. That's our objective. And if something can help us in this area or that, and we pray about it and feel okay for us doing it for where we're at for right now, go ahead. No condemnation. Do it. Live and improve and live to read the Bible another day and have your faith grow some more. Now, there's times that you know that the Lord will lead you. Don't do that. But like we said yesterday, the answer to a million and one questions is what? Be led. Be led. Be led. Now, we said your faith will make you whole, and that's a fact. But faith is not just making confessions, and faith is not just memorizing formulas. Faith is not just knowing principles. It's not just knowing principles, it's knowing the person. It's not just knowing the formula, it's knowing the Father. He didn't say, I know in what I've believed. He said, I know in whom I have believed. You show me someone who has faith, I'll show you someone who to a degree knows God. And really there's a problem when people are having difficulty believing God. Again and again it comes right back to their relationship with Him. And their fellowship with Him. Because you can't trust someone you don't know. And you can't trust one beyond where you know them and how much you know them. And so sometimes people know God as Savior, but they don't really know Him as Healer. Or they know Him as healer, but they don't really know Him as provider. And even though faith works the same in every area, faith has to be developed in each area. You've got to get to know God in all of these areas. And you're going to get to know Him through spending time with Him, in His Word, and in prayer, and fellowshipping with Him. And not get, just getting to know principles, but getting to know Him, how He thinks, what His will, and what His way is. I know in whom... I have believed, he said. And so instead of just trying to, you know, get established in more formulas and principles, we need to work on relationship. And you know, uh, if everything is right between us and God, we ought to be blessed. And when curses are prevalent in our life, it ought to be an indicator to us. I said it ought to be an indicator to us. Something's not right here. Our fellowship with God's not everything it ought to be. Why? Because no matter what your problem is, if you're in good fellowship with God, then you can hear from Him what to do about it. And how to get it changed. But so many times people are just out working for God and doing things for God instead of with Him. 
with Him. He wants you to work hand in hand, be a laborer together with Him. And He wants you to talk to Him and commune with Him every day about everything. And if you don't have that living communion, then you're not going to have the faith that you should have. And even the faith that you need. I'll be frank with you, in word and faith and charismatic circles, we got people that can make confessions. And people that'll take a stand and yell at the devil and rebuke the devil. But we don't, a lot of times people, we don't have people that really know how to put their nose in the carpet and really hear from God. When you're standing and rebuking and binding for the 99th time, and nothing has happened, and you've made your confession for the 932nd time, and nothing has changed. Sometimes you need to realize, hey, like Dr. Lillian B. Yeoman, the author of these good books on healing, she said, you know, if I pray and don't get results, I start changing. She said, I start changing. Because I know there's nothing wrong with God. He doesn't change. So I start changing. And so that has to do with fellowship with God. You, you don't just, you know, make confessions while you just go down the drain and perish. If things are not working, get to talking to God about it. Get to communing with Him. Get to fellowshipping with Him. What's wrong? Why am I like this, Lord? Do we, see, a lot of times charismatics don't know how to do that. They don't know how to seek God and inquire of God and hear from God. They just quote a verse. And make a confession. No, get in the floor. Why am I like this, Lord? Why are my finances in a mess? How come I just go month after month and year after year and don't get ahead? Why? But now you've got to, you've got to be ready. I said you've got to be ready. Because he'll tell you why. And I guarantee it won't be all the devil. He's liable to tell you, well, it's because you're selfish. And you don't put me first, you put yourself first. And because you're uncontrolled, spend when you should save. It's because you're not led by the Spirit. It's because you make bad investments and bad choices. And don't listen to me. <laughs> you understand? But instead of do that, people just go on making confessions, making confessions, making... Well, we believe in making confessions as much as any bunch you'll find, but there's more to life than making confessions. He didn't say, I know in what I believe. I know in whom. And the same thing is true if you're sick. I don't care what's wrong with you. You understand sickness is not the normal, acceptable state for a child of God. A redeemed from the curse of... Child of God. No, no. I mean, we ought to look at poverty as abnormal. Something's wrong. We ought to look at sickness as abnormal. Something's wrong. Now, I don't mean that we try to dig up some deep, dark secret, that some, some sin, great sin that somebody's committed, but just something's not right here. Something's not right. And we need, you know, if we take our stand and believe we receive and make our confessions and things are not working, we're not making progress, then we don't just need to go on butting our head against the wall and, and just making confessions blandly and mechanically. We need to get in the floor. Put your nose in the carpet and get to seeking God. If you need to, miss a meal or two or three. Now see, charismatics don't know how to do that. They just make confessions and then go to Shoney's. I mean, get in the floor, pray, seek God. Lord, why am I not making progress? 
Why, why am I not, you know, what's wrong? I know you don't fail. I know it's your will for me to be healed. I know faith principles work. What, show me and seek Him and inquire of Him. And what the Bible say, if you call unto me and you seek for me, you seek, you'll find. And when you call and seek with all your heart, I'll answer you. I'll show you. Call unto me and I'll show you great and mighty things that you don't know. God knows exactly why things are not working. And He knows exactly what you need to do so that they will work. But that's not formula. That's fellowship. I said that's fellowship. That's you talking to Him and asking Him questions. And Him talking to you and answering you. Communication. I said communication. And I'm not talking about you hearing audible voices or having visions or falling into trances. I'm talking about you knowing by the witness of the Spirit what to do. How many understand that God can communicate you to you and you didn't hear a voice or see a vision, but you just know on the inside. You just know. Because He revealed it to you through a witness. The witness of the Spirit is the primary way that God leads us and communicates us to us. And the witness of the Spirit is not a voice. The Bible says in Romans 8, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit, with the children of God and sons of God. That's not a voice. That's a knowing. I said, that's a knowing. Now, there's other things we could talk about in that area, but don't try to make it over spectacular. But when you seek God, you can hear from Him and He'll show you. But the reason why a lot of times people are not hearing from God is because their relationship with God is not what it ought to be. I said their relationship with God is just not what it ought to be. You can learn so much about relationship with God by comparing it to relationship with other human beings. Because the principles are exactly the same. You know when you're in good fellowship with another person. Don't you? You have a freedom. You have a peace. You have a joy. Open lines of communication. Right? And you know when things are not right between you and somebody else. You can tell it. I said you can tell it. Especially somebody that you've been around a lot. And somebody that you've been real close to and spent a lot of time with. Sometimes, you know, you can just walk in the room and know, uh oh, something's not right. <laughs> now, didn't, nothing was said. You just take one look at them. And you just know something's not right here. Well, I said to you, you know, that the greatest experience in life is fellowship. That's the greatest experience in life, bar none. Anything you want to mention, nothing is greater than wonderful, full fellowship. Of course, the greatest fellowship is fellowship with God. But then under that is fellowship with each other. But if that's the greatest experience in life, what would be the worst experience in life? Broken fellowship. I said broken fellowship. The thing that makes eternal death and hell what it is, is that you're severed from God. That's the worst thing about hell. That's the worst thing about, you know, eternal death. That's what makes it what it is. Is that you are severed from God. You're not in union with Him. You're, you're not in f- relationship, much less fellowship with Him. And there's nothing more miserable than a Christian that's out of fellowship with God. At least a sinner, they're miserable, a sinner's miserable, but they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> They've never enjoyed fellowship with God. They know something's not right. 
but, but they don't know what. But somebody who has known the fellowship of God, the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, and then to get at odds with God and get out of fellowship with God and let something come between you and He and be out of fellowship with Him, that's the most miserable person around. I said, that's the most miserable person around. And some of you could testify about that too. All of us have known broken fellowship to some degree or another. But if you're wise, you won't go on in broken fellowship. You'll get that fellowship restored and reconciled and you'll work it out. I said you'll work it out. Now we talked about that there are several indicators of how well we know God. We said one of them is how you talk about Him. That that shows a lot about how well you know Him. We said another is how like Him you are. And if you fellowship with Him, you'll be like Him. The more you know Him, the more like Him you'll be. The less you are like Him, that shows the less you know Him. And because that's true not only with, with God, that's true with other people. You have to watch about who you fellowship with. Because you'll take on their characteristics and traits. It's a Bible fact. It's a principle, spiritual principle. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, what is it, 13, 20 or so, it said, he that walks with wise men will be wise himself. But a companion of fools will, you know, be destroyed. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, evil communications corrupt good manners. What does that mean? That means hanging around the wrong bunch. Have a negative influence on you. Rub off on you. You, you, you need to uh, watch about your associations and your companionships, and your fellowship. If you see some a person that you know that uh, there's, there's, there's not very much you like about them and there's a whole lot you don't like about them, well, then that ought to help you determine how much time you spend around them. And there's a whole lot of people that had noble aspirations that they were going to convert this person to being like them. And what happens, they wound up being like them. Going the other way. How many ex-alcoholics have gone into the bar to win their buddies? Wound up drunk. You understand what I'm saying? You need to watch about that. The Bible warns against that. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. You remember 1 Corinthians 10? Yesterday we got there, but we didn't get there. 1 Corinthians 10. Y'all believe in God with me today? I tell you, God's... Dealt with me so much about this. This thing's grown so much. I must have 20 pages of notes on this. And don't know where to start on this. Just kind of shove them behind something. But You believe in God with me for what needs to come out to come out in these times and sessions in the right way. Now, let me say this trying to summarize some things. 
We're interested in being healed, of course, but there's more to life and success than just healing. The main thing is we want to be close to God, and we want to know Him. And I guarantee you, if you know Him and you follow Him, He will lead you right out of sickness into health. He'll lead you out of poverty into blessing. He'll lead you out of defeat into victory. But the key is knowing Him, being able to hear from Him, follow Him. And we said how well you know Him is indicated through a lot of different things. One thing that we haven't mentioned that much, which is a big factor, and many have never seen this, is that your relationships with other people is a great revelation of your relationship with God. Great revelation. How you treat other people reveals how you treat God. Now this is something that people don't readily agree with. They don't want to. Because people like to believe that God and I have this wonderful relationship. He and I are just like this. And he and I think exactly alike about Virtually everything. We are just completely at one. I love him with all of my heart and he loves me completely and we are just at one totally. But it's all these people that I can't get along with. All these people are just <laughs> intolerable. <laughs> and I love to just spend time with the Father. But I just don't like being around people. Just a lot of people I just can't stand. Remember the Pharisee that stood and prayed thus with himself. A lot of what people are claiming, what they're claiming is fellowship with God is just their own private religious exercise. They're not really communing with God. They're just doing their religious thing. Just because somebody comes and tells you, I spent X amount of time in the Word, I spent X amount of time in prayer, don't fall off your chair impressed. You don't know what they were doing during that period of time. And what some people call prayer ought not be called prayer. But if somebody is really personally fellowshipping with God, communing with God, they're communing and sharing with Him, He's communing and sharing with them, that will be evidenced in the way they talk, in the way they live, and particularly in the way they treat others. Before you go to 1 Corinthians 10, <laughs> go to 1 John. I think you'll get more out of that if you look at this first. And of course, I, I wouldn't even guarantee you that you would get to 1 Corinthians 10. But we're endeavoring to what? Be led. Be led. That's right. 
First John, are you there? First John chapter 4. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians 10 if you haven't already lost it. But 1 John 4, verse 20. 1 John 4, 20. He says, If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. What does that mean, he's a liar? What's he lying about? He's lying about loving God. And knowing God, you see. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Have you ever thought much about that statement? What's that got to do with it? If you can't love the one you've seen, how can you love the one you haven't seen? What's that got to do with it? (laughs) Yeah, but could you explain it though? You know, if you go back and read in the Old Testament, you'll find, particularly, just take the example of the Israelites and Moses and Aaron. God chose Moses and Aaron to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and through the wilderness. But I mean, every time something went wrong, the Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron, didn't they? But do you understand that God took it personally? And they're, they're in their mind, they're complaining against what Moses is saying and doing and what Aaron is saying and doing. But God says, I hear your murmuring, which you murmur against me. He took it personally. They thought they had a problem with people. God says, you got a problem with me. And that has happened again and again and again and again that people think, well, oh, God and I, we're just wonderful, we're just fine, but I am so mad at this one, I can't stand it, and I don't like this one, and I just can't get along with this one. But a lot of times the people that they can't get along with are people that have said things and done things influenced by the Lord. And nobody would want to just readily admit, I'm aggravated at God, and I'm not in agreement with God, and I'm at odds with God. But if you're at odds with somebody that's being influenced by God, that's exactly what you wind up being. You think you've got a problem with a person, but you've got a problem with God. You know, I... Uh, I'm thinking of a situation that the Lord dealt with me to talk to someone and minister to them in some ways. And uh, I did. And this, this kind of thing's happened more than once. But uh, they, they didn't like me and got real upset with me. And, you know, everybody like you don't like people not to like you. You don't like people to just not have any use for you. You know. And I was kind of lamenting that one time, and I said, Lord, (laughs) you know, well, I don't like this. And he said, don't take it so personal. He said, you didn't say that of your own accord. I told you to say that. It's not just you that they reject, it's me. He said, don't take it so personal. And you know, everybody that we're around... 
Pretty much everything they're saying and doing is being influenced. Either by the Lord or by the enemy. And the next time you get fired up and upset with somebody about what they're saying and doing, you better locate the source. Because if you're upset with what they're doing and what they're saying and doing is influenced by the Lord, then you are not just in disagreement with them, you're in disagreement with Him. And a lot more people are at odds with God than you might think. People disagree with God all the time. I said people disagree with Him all the time. They're at odds with Him. They're not in good fellowship with Him. For one thing, you can't fellowship with a person and with their enemy. You can't be a close personal friend to someone and be a close personal friend to their enemy. This cannot be. I said it cannot be. And with the Lord, He's told us that repeatedly, hasn't He? He said the friendship of the world, to be a friend of the world, is to be at enmity with God. He said, don't love the world. These are the things that are in the world. Because, you know, if, the, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. can't love both. You can't love both. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, go there now. And notice this. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? See, communion. That's the same Greek words translated fellowship. You know, when we're taking communion, we ought not just be going through a ritual, we ought to be fellowshipping. That's what the word communion means. In a lot of places, that's degenerated to just an outward formula and form. But I mean, when we hold up that cup and we partake of it and we hold up that bread and break it and we partake of it, we are supposed to be communing with the Spirit of the living God. Communing with the power in that blood. Communing with the power from that broken body. And commune means to share with to the end of being a partaker of. See, fellowship and communion means a sharing. If you and I have fellowship, then we share. We share thoughts. We might share a meal. We share values. We share desire. We share prayer. We share goals, vision, faith, right? Sharing. And I tell you, who would you rather share with than God? This is not just, it's not just a matter of you sharing with him, it's a matter of him sharing with you. That's the exciting part. And in communion there should be this sharing and this partaking. He goes on to say, we being many are one bread and are one body and we are all partakers of that one bread. He says, behold Israel, verse 18, after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? But you fellowship with, you partake of. I said, what you fellowship with, you partake of. Verse 19, he said, What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God, and I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. 
Now he's writing to Christians, isn't he? He said, I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. He's writing to tongue talkers. And says, I don't want you fellowshipping with demons. He said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? We shouldn't, should we? I said, you can't be an intimate, close friend with somebody and with their enemy. You can't partake of the Lord's table and of the devil's. Now, particularly if you were not a Christian for some portion of your life, adult life, then before you knew the Lord and before you began to fellowship with Him, there were demons that you fellowshiped with on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. They were your buds. You know what I mean by that? They would influence you and you would yield. They would bring thoughts and feelings and suggestions to you and you would yield. And so y'all partied. Or what did whatever you did. Yielded to lust. Yielded to cravings. Yielded to, you know, whatever. But, when you got born again, you've been delivered from the powers of darkness. Translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And you've been betrothed as a chaste virgin to Christ. And now you're married to Him. And you're supposed to be faithful to Him. Before you got born again, you were intimate with demons. Intimate. But now that you've been born again, got full of the Spirit You've been intimate with God. But I want you to know that like an old boyfriend, these demons will come around. <laughs> and they'll say, hey. I mean, they'll, they'll, pull up in, they'll pull up in your driveway, a car full of them on Saturday evening and say, hey. Saturday night. Party time! Let's go. Let's get drunk. Let's do some drugs. Let's sleep. Come on! Remember how you used to do? We ready. Let's go. And see, you know them. You know them. You've been intimate with them. They know how you think. You know how they influence. And they'll come and they'll tempt you to be unfaithful to your new husband. They'll tempt you to be unfaithful to your Lord. But if you fellowship with them, you've just been unfaithful to the Lord. You've committed spiritual adultery. And that's what the Lord said, didn't He? The friendship of the world. He said, you adulteresses. Do you know that sin is unfaithfulness to the Lord? Sin is fellowshipping with demons. Now, I didn't say if you'd sinned that you needed a spirit cast out of you. I didn't say that. 
And a lot of the extremes and deliverance that people are delving into is because of their ignorance and fleshiness. So much of what people have trouble with, Brother Hagin's talked about this, is the flesh, you know. And the enemy does come to influence, but so many times it's not a matter that the demon is in them. These spirits just come to people to influence them and they yield to them. They're not in. They come from the outside, sit on their shoulders, bring feelings and thoughts, and they yield to that. Well, if they're not in, you can't cast them out. How can you cast them out? They're not even in. But what people have to learn is when these things come, you resist them. You've got to resist them. That's what the Bible says. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist him. And the thing is, these things are, you know, persistent. Just like an old boyfriend call you up at the house. Hey, I miss you. I, and the devil's subtle. He's subtle. Uh, I, I don't, well, you know, I know, I know you're married now. I know you're married to the Lord. And, and, uh, but you know, I just want to talk. That's, can you meet me somewhere? I just want to talk. Legit, can you just think with me a little while on this? We're not going to do anything. Just, let's just look and think. Now, if you are a faithful part of the bride, what do you say? No. No. I'm not going to meet you anywhere. I'm going to talk. I am married. I'm married. Don't call me. Don't talk to me. Don't bother me. I resist you. I cast down those thoughts and those imaginations. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've talked with people before. Even people that's married. Are people that's engaged to be married? And I've had people look at me and, and say, you know, I just have these old boyfriends or, or the guys or these old girlfriends, they keep bothering me and they keep calling me and, and this and that. And you look at them like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can tell by the way they say it, they're flattered that these people are pursuing me and really they kind of enjoy it. And that's why they keep calling, because they can tell you enjoy it. If you will talk to them in the right way, they will call back. They will want to call back. And that's why all these demons keep hanging around people. They just hang around all the time. Why? Because they say, now I can't talk to you. No, now you know that I'm married now and I can't quit that. Quit that. I can't be I can't be with you. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah, we did have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. You ever heard sometimes people telling their testimony in church? They actually get to bragging about what they used to do. You can tell they're bragging about all the stuff they used to do. What makes you wonder about them? I mean, if you've had some affairs, it ain't nothing to brag about. 
If your heart's right and you have had some affairs, you don't want it brought up. You don't want to talk about it. How can you be close to somebody and you fellowshipping with their enemy? You know the wonderful thing about the Lord, boy, I tell you, His mercy endures forever. People can just be absolutely unfaithful to Him. I mean, commit spiritual adultery, fellowship with demons, sin and sin again. But I tell you what, if you'll come with an humble heart and really confess and really repent, the Lord take you back. He'll forgive you and forget it. Just forget it. And, and not hold it against you. And let you be just as close to Him as you ever were. And have it available to you to be closer than you ever were. Amen. He's good, isn't He? Amen. Isn't He merciful? Amen. Oh, thank God. Thank God. I said people can be at odds with God. Just like they are with other people. And a lot of times people are. They're really, they're not in good fellowship with God. And because you don't see God with your eyes, you don't touch Him with your hand, the unseen one, we walk with Him by faith. You understand what that is, don't you? When you walk, some, walk by faith, that means you don't see. You don't feel. See, don't be trying to feel God. With the physical. Don't be trying to see him with your eyes. Don't be trying to hear him with your ears. He's already told you you're going to walk by faith. What's that going to mean? That's going to mean, that means that most of the time, if you're going by your senses, you wouldn't think God was with you all around. We don't walk by that. We don't walk by feelings. We don't walk by our physical senses. We walk by faith. And Enoch walked with God by faith. Well, there's a real secret here. How did that happen? We know that Enoch lived for quite a few years and obviously wasn't really walking with God like he did in the latter part of his life because it tells you when he started and then how many years he did. And he got in Hebrews 11. He rose, he rose a hall of fame of faith. For what? For walking with God. Communing with God. Fellowshipping with God. Well, how did he do it though? By faith. Well, that means he didn't, you know, if it's by faith, it wasn't by feeling. That indicates that there was nothing spectacular. But that he had enough faith to just begin to commune with God independently of his senses. Maybe he was out in the field one day. And he thought about the stories of his great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, about how they walked with God and communed with God. And he kept thinking, well, I want to walk with God. Well, I want to walk. I want to walk with God. Why can't I walk with God? Well, nobody walks with God anymore since the fall and this and that. But one day by faith, he got to, so his faith began to grow to where he believed, God, you're here. Lord, you are here. And so he just began to talk to him. Not that he saw or felt, just begin to talk to him. And I'm telling you, when you begin to act like God is with you and talk to him like he's hearing you and believe that he is, he'll begin to manifest himself to you and he'll begin to get more real to you. See, people that don't understand this, they walk in the room and we're praying, they look around, there's nobody there. Who are you talking to? 
you see anybody? Did you hear anybody? Did you feel anybody? How do you know somebody's here? It's all by faith. We believe he's here. We believe he's here. And he is. He is. But you couldn't prove it by the senses. But faith knows he is. And that's, you know, we're going to talk about, unless the Lord leads me another direction, I may get into that some more, maybe tomorrow. About how to get closer to him. Would you be interested in that? How to get closer to him. Now, let's talk about this briefly. And we're going to do some other things before we go here today. You know, your relationships with other people says so much about your relationship with God. If you really love God, and you know God, and you're in in good fellowship with Him, and at peace with Him, that will certainly reflect in your relationships with people. You will be kind to people. You'll be nice. You'll be easy to get along with. So many times people are so irritable and hard to get along with other people. Why? Because they're not getting along with God. And boy, when things are not right between you and God, nothing is right. I heard a fellow say a while back, he, he's talking about the, his marriage and, and family and home. He said, when, when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. <laughs> <laughs> And he's talking about the when his relationship with his wife, if that wasn't right, everything was thrown off. And you watch it. You know, you just take somebody, come in, come in on the job and watch their relationship with their secretary or with their co-worker or with their boss or with the customer. And a lot of times you can tell, well, something's not right. And you find out, well, they've got problems at home. Now, we ought to be more mature than that, but most folk are not. They take their problems to work with them and school with them and everywhere else with them. But instead of trying to just hide your problems, you just need to solve your problems. Solve them. Why do people experience broken fellowship? One reason that people experience broken fellowship is because of disagreement. Disagreement is the beginning, it's the first step on the road to enmity. Disagreement is the first step toward being enemies. Now every disagreement doesn't wind up in somebody being an enemy, it doesn't have to, but I'm saying that's how it starts. If you don't deal with it and correct it. It starts out like this, I disagree with you. Then it goes from that to, you're wrong. Then it goes from that to, How can you think like that? Then it goes from that to, what kind of person are you? Do you see how it progresses? You know, the Bible, uh, there's a much misunderstood verse in Philippians 2, 5, I guess it is. It says, let your moderation be known to all men. Remember that one? Really, that's a little blind in the King James. Other translations bring this out. Let your sweet reasonableness be known to all men. When people think of you, do they they think sweet? And then do they think reasonable? (laughs) 
That's how you're supposed to be. The Bible talks much about forbearance. Do you know what forbearance is? Forbearance is tolerance. Tolerance. I read something on a church sign one time I thought was interesting. It said a man is only as big as the things that annoy him. If you're getting along good with God and you're walking in fellowship and with good with God, you will not be intolerant and harsh. When somebody is intolerant and harsh and hard, that shows they don't know God. Not well anyway. I didn't say they weren't saved. But they just don't know God very well. And they're not in good fellowship with Him. Fellowshipping with God is fellowshipping with love. God is love. And if you know God, you know love. And if you're full of God, you're full of love. Love is not harsh. Love is not bitter. Love is not unreasonable. Hard to get along with. Some people that think they're so spiritual. Actually justify their carnality with their own misguided thinking. People, you know, sometimes are so sensitive to everything that happens. They get offended so easily and so quickly. That bothered me. That upset me. That offended me. That hurt me. You hurt me. And then turn around and say, well, I, I, I guess, I guess because I'm more spiritually sensitive than some people. That these things just get to me more. No, no, no. No. It's because of selfishness and carnality. As you mature and grow, you develop thick skin. And the psalmist said, they that love thy law, nothing will offend them. It takes something to get to you when you're strong and you know everything's right between you and God and you know it and your heart is clear and your fellowship is full and your joy is full and when your joy is full, you're strong. And somebody looks at you and gives you the evil eye and cuts you short, you just go, huh. so? And you go right on down the road. The Lord told us He wanted us to be Wise concerning the good, but concerning the evil, be simple. What does that mean? A lot of people don't know what that means. It means if you do what the Lord tells you to do in these areas, people will think you're naive. If you walk in love like you're supposed to, people will think you're naive. I've had people try to slight me or cut me or this or that some way, and I just smiled and went on, you know. And, and somebody came to me and said, Brother Keith, didn't you understand that they were trying? They were saying this. And they were doing this. And you almost would look at them and go, Really? <laughs> well, sure, you knew. Sure, you saw. But we ought to be, you know, the, the Bible says that love is quick to believe the best. And it, and it hardly takes account of a suffered wrong. I mean, even though people, I mean, people ought to have to slap us twice or three times before we realize that they're trying to hurt me. Maybe they stumbled and their hand fell across my face. 
Somebody said, that's being naive. Listen, it's being simple concerning evil. Instead, people are at the other end of the spectrum. They're so suspicious. Yeah, yeah. And any little thing, oh, what did they mean by that? What did they mean? What did they mean? I know what they said, but what did they mean? <laughs> that means you don't know God. That's what that means. It means your fellowship with God's not nearly what it ought to be. Because when you fellowship with God's what it ought to be, it gives you this real sense of security. You don't feel threatened by every little implication that somebody made. You know Him who created the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah! And you are on an intimate basis with Him. Why do you care if somebody's making a little snide remark about you? Brother Hagin's been criticized. This ministry's been criticized. I mean books written against. Radio programs used to denounce. And I've heard Brother Hagin say, I tell you what, if they told on me that I killed my grandma, I wouldn't even take time to deny it. He said, I've been criticized by experts. These little spurts don't bother me. not get embroiled in this stuff and waste our time trying to defend ourselves. God said, I'm your defense. We need to leave our defense and justification in His hands, not take it into our own. People are at odds with others because of their carnality and their selfishness and because they sin against each other. And that could cover a wide variety of things. The Bible said in Romans 13 that love, you know, doesn't do any ill or any harm to its neighbor. And we ought to always be observant and considerate that I don't say anything or do anything that hurts you. And if I realize I do, Immediately make it right with you. Come to you and say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. Even if it was something innocently. It's still your fault because you didn't have enough foresight to realize what, what, how it was going to affect them. You know, when you realize that, uh, that, that something's happening that's bothering and hurting somebody else. Doing your own thing at somebody's expense. That ought to grieve you. That ought to bother you. Because that's not the way love is at all. Love is always considered of the other person. How is this affecting them? And if it comes to a choice between them being enjoying something good and or me, both of us can't, well, hey, you take it. If somebody's going to be inconvenienced, let it be me. If somebody's going to have to be uncomfortable, well, let it be me. You be comfortable. Boy, it's quiet. <laughs> I'm talking about telling whether we know God or not. People who know God, that's the way they are. They're givers. God so loved the world that He gave. And if you really know God and love God, you got His nature in you. You're an imitator of God like a dear child. And so you love, so you want to give, you want to bless. And if you ever do anything ignorantly or through, through whatever, and you hurt somebody, it ought to grieve you. It ought to grieve you. And you ought to repent. 
And when you get at odds with God, you need to see how quick you can repent and make it right with Him. Don't wait. Don't delay. Because every hour spent out of fellowship with God is going to take its toll on your faith. And if you're faithless, you're just a target for the enemy. Go to Job. I'm going to wind this up real quickly here. But go to Job 22, 21. This is a great verse here. Job 22, 21. He said, Acquaint now thyself with him, and be at peace. Thereby good shall come unto thee. Acquaint yourself with Him. Talking about God. And be at peace. Be at peace with who? With God. And thereby good shall come unto thee. Another translation says it like this. It says, Well then, make peace with Him. Be reconciled. And all your happiness will be restored to you. That's good, isn't it? Another one says, Come to terms with God and then you'll prosper. Hallelujah. It is futile to try to pursue prosperity and success and you're not right with God. No. It's vain to try to get healing and you're not right with God. It's vain to try to receive and be filled with the Holy Ghost and you're not right with God. Do you understand? It's vain to try to get direction for your life and ministry and you're not right with God. And yet it's, it, once you've been out of fellowship with God for a while, it's easy to just kind of sweep it under the rug and try to pretend it's not there. The truth is, you're not right with God. Oh, you're saved. You love Him to a degree. And of course you know He loves you. Sometimes people say, well, you know, God loves you just the way you are. That's not true. I said, that's not even true. God loves you no matter where you are, no matter what you've done. That doesn't mean He has to love the way you are. And He doesn't love all the ways you might be. All the ways I might be. But He loves you. And you know, when people embrace evil and wrong and sin, they separate themselves from others who are going to follow God and do good. And a lot of times they'll try to turn it around and say, well, you're just pulling yourself away from me. You just don't want to be a friend of me anymore. You just, hey, that's not the case. You have hooked up, though, with these. You know, you get, you get all the, uh, uh, Flack that people say, well, you know, you have, if you accept me, you have to accept my lifestyle. Whether I'm homosexual, lesbian, whether I'm this, whether I'm that. Hey, we love you. But no, uh-uh. In order to fellowship with you, we'd have to fellowship with the spirit you fellowship with. And I'm not going to do that because I'm prejudiced. I'm extremely prejudiced against demons. Very prejudiced against them. I don't associate with them. Now I love people. But see, if people are buddy-buddy with a demon, I want to fellowship with them, but don't bring that demon in my house. Leave him out there and you come on in. But a lot of times people say, hey, 
It's me and my buddy or nothing. Well, I'm sorry. I wish you would leave him out there and come on in. No, if I if I come in, he's got to come. Well, he ain't coming in. Do you understand? So people, they make the choices. People that decide to live in sin, people that decide to live, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other. Well, you cut yourself off. And it's not just from people. When you decide to fellowship with demon spirits, then it's not going to be right between you and God. God loves you, but he hates that demon. And yet you got your arm around him. Can you see what a problem that is? Some folk didn't like that, but it's still true. I said it's still true. And there are all kind of spirits that people fellowship with besides those. I mean, it's, the list goes on and on and on. But when you're at odds with God, you know it. And the sad thing is, if you stay out of fellowship with God for a while, you get used to it. You get used to being about half backslid. And you get used to God not being that real to you. You get used to that. And boy, that's, that's the tragedy when you get used to it. You ought to be so conscious and aware of God all the time. And know that everything's right between He and I. Everything's not, nothing's between my soul and the Savior. Nothing's between us. Nothing. And if you'll stay like that, you'll stay sensitive. Then if you do something that's wrong, man, you're hardly, you'll sense when God's not pleased with you. And it grieves you. And you repent immediately and get it right with God. And then you can go on. But see, when you know you're not right with God, but you don't reconcile and you don't make it right, you just go on, then you get hard. And the longer you go like that, you get harder. And harder. And more insensitive. Until you get to the place where God could be talking to you through a megaphone, you wouldn't hear Him. That's serious. That's sad. If we're at odds with people, you need to make it right. You may think I've digressed big time, but this has everything in the world to do with healing. Everything in the world to do with healing. Because if you're not right with people, I mean, I've been working in healing school for several years now. And you may think this sounds harsh, but I know it of a fact in my heart. There have been people that have come to healing school. We've seen wonderful healings, wonderful things. But there have been people that have come to healing that I knew if I could have got them and kept them with me out here away from their family. For a period of time, we could got them healed and it'd be alright. But, I've actually seen, I know I was dealing with a case where the husband was sick, and the wife was there with him in the service, and they came up to talk with me, and she did all the talking. He just, he kind of stayed about four paces behind. He's the one that's sick. Yeah, she's telling me what he believes, and this, and that, and the other. And I just looked up, of course, you know, we've been doing this for years, and the Spirit of God shows you things along these lines. I, I looked up and looked over at him. The Lord revealed something to me just like that. What? That he's going to die? Why? Because he wants to? Why? To get out of this? 
When she'd say, we're believing God and, and we're going to live and not die, he'd go, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, and when she'd turn away, you know, he just, he's got no faith, he's got no desire to live, he's got no fight in him at all. None. And this is his ticket out. So he's just going to let, as they say, nature take its course or whatever. He's not going to fight this. And I've seen more than one situation where, you know, you had to get that relationship fixed before you could get them healed. And if you couldn't get the relationship fixed, a lot of times they just didn't make it. I've seen people that we got them out here by the self and healing school with us for a week or two or three or even a month or something. And boy, got them there. They're about dead when they got here. Got them built up. They're doing good, doing wonderful. And then went back home, back into that relationship. And I mean, just in a few weeks, lost, lost all the ground they had gained. Why? Because see, they're at odds with each other. There's enmity. There's strife. There's division. That is not conducive to healing. That's conducive to the enemy's works. Cancer thrives in strife. Disease and sickness thrives in a hate environment. I know a few years ago, I was walking out of the door over to Healing Center, and the service was over, and there was a lady there who had her little child. And she asked me, she said, you know, would you pray for my, my child? The uh, child was sick. You could tell it didn't feel good, had a fever. And I just started to reach over and lay hands on the baby and pray for it. And the Lord checked me. I don't mean I heard a voice or felt anything. I just knew inside me. It was kind of arrest you, you know. And I just thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. And the Lord revealed something to me. And I looked at her and I said, uh, have you and your husband been having a lot of problems? She began to cry. I said, well, I said, you got to change that environment if for no other reason for your baby's sake. I said, that uh, we, we could pray and do some things right here, but you take that baby right back into that environment, it just leaves the door wide open for the enemy. You remember 1 Peter 3? It talked about how wives ought to deal with their husbands and treat their husbands and how husbands ought to treat their wives. He said, that your prayers be not hindered. Relationship, fellowship is so important in these areas. See, the devil knows that. You take ministers that's got a call on their life, pastors or itinerants or whoever. And if your heart's to serve God and you study and you pray and you do this and you do that and, and the devil can't mess with you too much in that area, boy, he'll try to mess with your marriage. He'll try to mess with your kids because he knows if he can get you rattled, that's going to affect the anointing in the pulpit. There's no way you're going to be as sensitive to the Holy Ghost and flow and do like you ought to do when you're so mad you could bite a nail in two. You've been screaming, screaming and yelling half the day or just sulking for a week. There's no way the anointing is going to be on your life like it's supposed to. There's no way you're going to yield to God and utterance is going to flow out of you like it's supposed to. And yet sometimes people think, well, I'm just I'm working on my ministry. I'm working on my ministry and their relationships are just a mess. You can't separate the two. I said, you can't separate them. 
Until you get these relationships fixed, there's no way you're going to be all you should be ministerially. No way. You can pray in tongues and break records praying in tongues. You can read the Bible and do word studies until you ain't got room to put the notes anymore. But you won't be anointed. You won't be powerful. You won't do a good job. You won't. Why? Because what's in you comes out. If you're full of strife and anxiety and frustration, try as you may, it will come out. It'll come out in your teaching and preaching. It'll come out in your counseling. And that's ministering death, not life. And the only way, not two or three, the only way to keep it from coming out of you to others is to get it out of you. So that it's not in there. That means you're going to have to reconcile. I don't care if you have to stay up with people and talk half the night. I don't care if you have to cry and pray. You understand? And use up Kleenexes. Get it worked out. Don't go on month after month, year after year, with that stuff under the surface like a time bomb waiting to blow up in your face at the wrong time. Humble yourself. Be willing to admit you were wrong. And if somebody else was wrong and they sinned against you, be willing to forgive them. I said be willing to forgive them. Because you need to. They need to get it worked out and get it behind you because until you do, you can't go on with God. You can't be used of God like you should. Now see, the devil knows this. That's why he works overtime. Keeping you in strife with your spouse, with your kids, with your parents, in-laws, neighbors, whoever. In 1 Corinthians 3, yeah, you need to turn there. I'm, I really should already be closed, but, but turn there. First Corinthians 3. This won't take long. We're talking about, do we know God? First Corinthians 3, verse 1. Paul said, brethren, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. How did he know they were carnal? For, whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? And walk as men. Continual strife and contention and problems is proof positive that you're carnal. The Bible says so. I don't care how many scriptures you quote, how much you talk in tongues. If you can't live apart from strife, you're carnal. I said you're carnal. The Bible says. Now you've been in strife before. We've all experienced some strife before. But we need to go and learn. We need to learn how to be tolerant. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, just don't make it an issue. It's not worth it. Just let it go. Just let it slide. That's what forbearance means. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff is not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of what you like versus what I like. God ain't said nothing about what to do with it. I like vanilla. Well, I like chocolate. Well, are we going to have a fight over vanilla or chocolate? If you do, what do we know? You are carnal. Pitiful. And yet people do. They have 
about fusses and fights over stuff sillier than that. You got whole churches split. Because we want the piano on the left side of the platform. No, we want the piano on the right side. It's a wonder God even puts up with this. What does that mean? It means the bunch is carnal. That's what it means. That's what it means. Brother Hagin has said for years, we need to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. Even if you disagree, be nice about it. I had a fellow the other day who was telling me his doctrine, and he, he went on and on, and he said, do you understand? I said, mm-hmm, yeah. He said, you understand this? And I said, yeah, yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So you agree? I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, I thought you agree. I said, no, I said, I understood what you said. Well, you, you don't agree? No, I don't agree. <laughs> but I still love you. You don't have to be ugly and mean and bitter and hard and harsh. It shows you don't know God. If you know God, you're sweet, kind, tolerant, wise, forbearing, gentle, peaceful. Is that right? That's the way God is. If you know Him and you fellowship with Him and hang around Him, you'll be like Him. And somebody says, well, I like chocolate. And you say, well, I don't, but let's have chocolate. (laughs) And then we could go on and have church like we're supposed to, instead of having spent all the time in the counseling rooms and courts of law. and We could be having revival. We could be building a new wing on the church with the money we was going to spend on the lawyer's fees. And the world would just generally be a much better place. Right now today, right now today, if you're at odds with somebody, somebody close or somebody not so close, the Bible said over in, in uh, what is it, Matthew 5, it said if you bring a gift to the altar and you realize that your brother's got something against you, he said, leave that, leave that gift right there. Just leave it right there and go. Get reconciled with your brother. We need to realize what he's saying. What does it mean? Well, see, if you're bringing the gift, you're going to worship God. You want to give to him. You want him to receive from you. And then, of course, you want to open up and receive back the blessing from him. But the Lord said, before you try to start receiving from me and fellowshipping with me, he said, you, you work that stuff out. You leave your gift right there and you go make it right. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.